Hey, it's Andrew, and I wanted to thank you for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. Did you know that you can subscribe to the Door County Pulse podcast on Apple Podcasts or Pocket Casts or wherever you get your podcasts to have new episodes delivered to your feed twice a week on Wednesday and Friday? All you have to do is pick up your phone, navigate to your podcast app, and search for Door County or Door County Pulse podcast and click subscribe. If you're a longtime listener or if this is your first episode, we hope you enjoy the Door County Pulse podcast. Hello and welcome to One on One, a Door County Pulse interview series. I'm Andrew Clyden and I'm joined today by Adrian Murray. How are you doing, Adrian? Really good. Good. So you, uh, you've you worn a bunch of different hats in Door County over the years. Uh, tell me a little bit about the, the different positions you found yourself in before we, we have a, a title for you. Born and mostly raised here in Door County. Um, as most kids in Door County, I uh, came up in the tourist industry working in restaurants. Followed that path for a good chunk of my life. Ended up... Going to culinary school, moved and lived all over the country, cooking in different restaurants and hotels. That's what actually still brought me back to Door County, as well as having a family. Uh, ran a couple of restaurants, owned my own restaurant, um, but then found myself in need of a change and uh, went into carpentry. Worked as a carpenter for quite some time, and while I was working as a carpenter, I found myself with more free time than I knew what to do with, having come out of the restaurant industry. At that point, my wife was working for the town of Gibraltar. A couple of the guys on the department asked her to invite me to uh, come to a meeting and just see if I enjoyed it. So now that I had nights and weekends off, I said, yeah, I can I can do that. Well, I, I clearly liked it. I didn't miss another meeting for about two years. Gibraltar Fire Department meets every Tuesday night, so I was kind of a headfirst kind of guy. Since I've joined the Gibraltar Fire Department, I found a career path for myself along this way. Uh, the first class I ended up taking with the fire department was as an EMR, so a medical first responder, you know, the going from my house directly to other people's houses or to the scene, being that first person on scene to to kind of establish some medical care, truly fell in love with it. And and that's that's what really um, kind of hooked me in. From there, I um, kept going, got my EMT license, um, ended up going to NWTC to their um, fire school as well, getting my certificate in fire science and continuing on and getting my full paramedic. Um, so, which is an associate's degree program at NWTC as a fire medic. Currently, I still work and am a captain on the Gibraltar Fire Department. I'm the EMS crew chief, so I'm kind of in charge of the EMRs on that department as well as the EMS training that we do. I'm also a paramedic with Door County Emergency Services. I teach EMS and fire classes with NWTC. I teach ACLS with a company that teaches that at uh, Bellin College of Nursing. I also ski patrol, uh, volunteer as a ski patroller in Iron Mountain, Michigan at a mountain called uh, Pine Mountain. And then generally other things. I, you know, I, I still love to cook, still bartend weddings with a, a friend of mine who has a wedding venue in Sister Bay. My life is, has been about hospitality and service and the fact that I've added the medical field into it, I don't think is a, a sea change in what I do, just the tactics of how I do it. Sure. You know, I, I kind of joked about you wearing many hats, but you really do wear a lot of different hats. <laughs> you have done a ton of different things. This last year I had nine W-2s, um, which I guess for people in Door County is uh, not really that remarkable. I was just at a conference this week where they threw up a statistic that only, I think they said only 18% of uh, 
people in the United States have more than one job. Mm. And two thirds of the people in EMS and fire have more than one job. And I was like, more than one. I, I don't remember a time in my life when I had less than two, but right. it's the Door County way as well, I guess. Well, the, you know, the, the culinary side of stuff maybe wasn't part of the natural progression, but did you find that the, the way that you got into the, the medical industry, the way that you kind of went through that is, is typical of people? I guess it, it depends on what level of the medical industry you're in. I mean, for me, like I said, I, I started off working in restaurants in Door County when I was 12, you know, I mean, labor laws were a little less stringent back sure. then, but I, I found it through that way. And it, I got to the point where I, I did find a bit of burnout in that career, which I think is, is kind of common, especially when you get to that level. I was working over a hundred hours a week sure. on my feet in the kitchen. I've got two children and at that point they were pretty young children and, uh, they still like to see me, so I, I still try to make some time for them. So getting out of the restaurant industry at that point was how I did it. As far as getting into uh, the medical industry the way I did is uh, pre-hospital medicine, paramedicine. I think there are a lot of different paths in, and that's one of the great things about it, is that it, it brings a broad and varied group of people together with a broad and varied uh, background of experience. And I think that that brings a lot to the table. Um, of the paramedics that work in Door County, some of them went directly into that career. I mean, barring a couple of, you know, teenage jobs or high school jobs, and others have come to it at least in similar fashion uh, to myself um, through other careers that um, either didn't work out or they found less rewarding and, and have got into it this way. You know, as you were talking about being burned out from the the restaurant side of things, I was starting to think about, you know, the conditions and everything led me to the irony of like, you know, if you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen or out of the frying pan into the fire. And I was like that, maybe that was kind of your, your role model at that point was you took that literally and jumped right in. And I, I think that that probably is true. And, but I think the other part of it is there's, there's something about the type of person that wants to be a chef, that wants to work in a kitchen, that wants to work in a restaurant. You you do at, on some level thrive on the pace, the demand of your time and moving into emergency services, whether it's fire or medical or police. I think you have some of that same desire for action, for activity, for um, an active lifestyle. Right. What was the process like? Uh, take me from when you first started volunteering all the way to where you are now. What, what type of training was required and, and that kind of thing? Sure, absolutely. So when I first joined the fire department itself, you know, the first steps were just uh, coming to meetings, you know, and we still actively are trying to recruit people to to just come and, and just come to a meeting and see if it's something that you'd enjoy. And that's how they recruited me. Um, I came to a meeting and... Um, we, we were, you know, training on working with air packs and, and, and donning drills and getting our gear on and just performing some of the basic firefighting tasks. Now, that goes through, and then as different classes come up through the technical college system, you can gain more and more certifications to allow yourself more responsibility and, and greater breadth of, of uh, duties on the fire ground or in, on medical calls. So like I said, I, I started with the EMR class, like, which gets you to people's houses, um, gets you to that first level of serving your community, gets you to, you know, walking into your neighbor's house when they need you. Right. Um, here in Door County, we have ambulances uh, kind of throughout the county. We've got 
The main station is a central station where they have two full-time paramedic crews. Sister Bay has one full-time paramedic crew. Then there's uh, backup ambulances. We've got an on-call uh, EMT crew on Washington Island, as well as an on-call EMT crew in Brussels. And then in the summertime, we add in a backup ambulance in Sister Bay 14 hours a day for about the six months of the peak summer. So based on where you are in the county, there's a pretty good chance that an EMR is going to be able to get to your house and at least start initiating some care or start an assessment of what's going on before one of those ambulances can. So that's the role of our EMRs in this county is, is the, it's our it's our first line of defense. They are such an integral part of the medical apparatus that we have pre-hospitally here in Door County. What's the makeup of full-time and volunteer? So full-time to volunteer is is a pretty small ratio on the full-time side. Um, in Door County, there are only 18 full-time uh, paramedics. Mm. So those paramedics work 48-hour shifts at either the Sister Bay Station or the Sturgeon Bay Station, depending on, on where they're based out of. Beyond those 18, everything else is either um, is then part-time. So then you have EMTs that are um, actually casual calls. So they're not even part-time um, appointments. There is a schedule that they can log into and, and choose their shifts from, but nothing no required shift, no required schedule for the casual call employees. And then there are the EMRs, which are um, volunteers, what are called paid per call volunteers, which means that you are a volunteer in that if there's ever a time that you don't want to be on duty, you want to go out with your family and have a cocktail and go out to dinner, that's what we want you doing. Uh, we want our volunteers to have a rich family life. We'd, we're not asking anybody to give more of their time than is healthy for their lifestyle. So we have, like I said, 18 full-time paramedics, about 50 uh, part-time or casual call EMTs. And then I think the number is somewhere around 150 to 200 volunteer EMRs around the county. That's in addition to all of the firefighters countywide as well. The only full-time firefighters in the county are in the city of Sturgeon Bay, um, as well as Tom Gibraltar now just actually um, last year hired its first full-time chief. Would you say that that those numbers are, are higher or lower than what you might expect to see in a community of this size? It really depends on the community. I think for the size of the community we have, I think it's, it's wonderful um, and a testament to the community that we have in the number of volunteers that we have. But as with anything, uh, the trend in the United States right now, volunteerism is down. Um, people are experiencing greater demands of their time and volunteerism is one of the things that uh, falls off the radar the quickest. So it's not just fire departments. It's, you know, the United Way, the YMCA, all of these organizations that truly rely on volunteerism are having a hard time. And that's, that's a national trend. It's not just here in Door County. Adrian, why don't we take a break? Uh, and then when we come back, I have a couple questions about, you know, you are, you're doing this work, this emergency responding in a small community, but also in a community that you grew up in and, and the people that you are, are serving are people that you know. And, and I'm really interested to, to hear about what the, the challenges are with that, but also, you know, if that's a rewarding thing as well. So we'll jump into that when we come back. Sounds good. Grace, there is nothing that I love more than lighthouses and state parks. 
Oh my gosh, no way, me too. I just wish that there was, I don't know, some sort of way that I could capture my love for those things in a physical way that maybe I could put on the wall or something. Well, you are in luck, my friend. If you visit DoorCountyPulse.com slash shop, you can find exactly those items. You mean we actually put together a series of state park posters and an incredible collection of lighthouses all in one piece of artwork that you can buy online? That we did, Andrew, that we did. I didn't know that we had an online shop. What else can I get there? You can also buy some Pulse stickers, Door County Living stickers. You can subscribe to Door County Living or the Peninsula Pulse if you are not in Door County. You can buy our annual door wedding guide. And you can also buy uh, Lighthouse postcards if you do not want the full poster, but might want to add a little something something in your gift package. I'm looking at the shop right now and I just noticed that we have Peninsula Pulse hats with the dog logo and everything. Grace, I think I am sold. Where can I go to find all of this stuff one more time? www.doorcountypulse.com slash shop. Okay, we are back. So, Adrian, you grew up in Door County, right? Yeah. And when you decided to pursue the career that you decided to pursue, what were your thoughts about doing the work that you're doing in a community where you're familiar with everybody, where you know people, uh, where you grew up? Well, I think Part of it is is how I ended up here uh, in a permanent fashion. My wife and I both grew up here and started traveling the country. Um, we moved 13 times in the six years after high school. Um, we've lived in Florida, California, New York, and Hawaii. But what brought us home was was having kids. We always said if we were going to raise a family, we wanted to raise it here. And for those of you who do live here in Door County, you know why. This community is exactly that. It, the sense of community here is so much stronger than any of the other places we lived. And we lived in wonderful places. We lived in the Hudson Valley in New York, truly gorgeous area. We lived in Sarasota and Orlando. We lived on the island of Maui on the South Shore, and we lived in Lake Tahoe. All of them wonderful places, and some of them had pretty good sense of community, but none of them really did measure up to here. So once we did get back here, and we were working in a lot of different ways, once I got that kind of tap on the shoulder asking me if I wanted to join the fire department or at least just check it out, it did spark something inside of me that I had kind of wanted for a while. I mean, I had friends in high school that had joined the fire department as soon as they turned 18 or actually 17 and, you know, we had their pagers on and, and, uh, there was always a part of me that, that saw that and kind of wanted it. But I had this image of, of what a firefighter was. And, and in my mind, I didn't meet that image. I didn't, I didn't meet that mental standard, that imperfect image I had in my head. You know, I, my image of, of a firefighter was, you know, born out of movies and television. And, you know, when I was a kid, my dad taught me how to do a firefighter carry. You know, you, you put somebody over your shoulders and you grab their arm and their leg and you stand up mm -hmm. and you carry them out. And I thought to myself, I can't carry a firefighter out of a burning building on my back. I can't be a firefighter, right? That's not how it works. You know, I mean, yes, there is, there is a physical strength component to the job, without a doubt. But to a far greater extent, there's a physical mechanics component to the job. There's a, there's a teamwork component. There's very little in, in any of these jobs that anybody expects them to do on their own. So part of that was a huge learning curve for me to kind of break that down and realize this is absolutely something I can do. As far as doing this in a community that, that I am so ingrained in, um, that has brought me up since I was a child, 
means more to me than than trying to do it somewhere else. I mean, I could be a paramedic, you know, somewhere else. I could be a paramedic in the city. Lord knows they're looking for them. But doing this job here, serving this community that has served me so well, is is truly the reward of the job. I am who I am because of Door County, because of the people that have raised me in this county, because of the school, because of my neighbors. And now I get to be that person that they see on their worst day from time to time. You know, hopefully it's not their worst day, but sometimes it is. Sometimes we see people on their worst days. And, and I get to be that person that holds their hand ahead for them to lean on, somebody that can be there to tell them that it's not going to be the worst day. It's just one of the worst moments. Right. And try to bridge that gap for them a little bit. That doesn't come without its toll. You know, I mean, there's no doubt that, um, you know, if, when you show up on the scene of an accident or to a house where something tragic has happened or some kind of a medical emergency is, is going on in somebody's life, that it doesn't affect you. Um, and recently, uh, in the last few years in the in the EMS world, that part of the job has is getting a, a brighter light shown upon it that there is a there is a toll that we all take. We we see people on their worst days. And when you live in the community and are from the community, that toll can be higher. There's there's no doubt. So it is it does take a person that that can handle balancing what needs to be done in the moment and the emotional toll that it's going to take. I'm lucky in the way that I can handle some of these things um, pretty well. I can kind of compartmentalize a little bit here and there. But the reality of it is you know, when I go back to the fact that I have the mental capacity and the emotional capacity to to handle the job, I'd be shortcutting myself if I if I didn't try. Sure. So it it seems like there was definitely a sense of pride in in taking on the position and trying to give back to the community that gave you so much, and and of course challenges definitely. It's a challenging job for for physical and mental reasons, and you've got your own. Unique challenges working in a community this small, uh, but it has to be rewarding as well, right? Uh, what are what are some of the most rewarding parts of the job for you? Without a doubt, the, the most rewarding parts of these jobs are the smile, the handshake, the hug from somebody who whose day was made a little better by somebody who knew them and recognized them from when they weren't ravaged by cancer or weren't bloodied in the face by a car accident. The people that that see dignity and respect in somebody's eyes looking upon them on a day when they don't feel any. Those are some of the most rewarding times. You do some education as well. You mentioned you did some uh, at the college level, but uh, were you involved in, I think it's called Project 180? Uh, I had recently read about something in the Pulse about doing uh, these kind of like mock accidents and taking people through like kind of a, a, as realistic a scenario as you can. Can you tell me a little bit about the educational side of what you do? Absolutely. Um, I go back to, you know, those, there's my first few days, weeks, months in the, in the fire service, you know, kind of learning my way around the fire department. And the one thing that I, I think holds true for most industries, but especially for this one, there was a, a poster on one of the bulletin boards with a quote I'm terrible with names and remembering them, so I can't specifically put my finger on whose quote it was. But the quote was, the day you've learned everything there is to know in the fire service better be your last day in the fire service. I think that does hold true for a lot of industries. But in this industry where, though not every day, there are a great number of situations that are life and death situations. 
if you think that you don't have anything greater to learn or that the trends are changing and, and you don't need to know the new ones because you've, we've always done it this way, that isn't the right mentality. So I felt assured that I was moving into an industry that valued education, lifelong learning. And I, and I take that to heart. I wouldn't be an effective firefighter or paramedic if I didn't try to pass that knowledge on to somebody else. Um, so whenever there's a, an EMR class or an EMT class in Door County, I do whatever I can to make myself available to those classes to, to help teach those classes. The same with fire classes. And the, the same goes with training. You know, I mean, it's, it doesn't have to be formal classes. You know, if you're sitting on knowledge, like, look at me, look what I got. I got all this knowledge. Yeah, but who have you taught it to lately? The, all that knowledge in your head doesn't do any good once you die, once you retire, once you move on to another career. The only way that that knowledge truly matters is if it gets passed on and built upon. So I, I take that to heart. I, I truly believe that our roles should be that of, of giving, of caring, of, of sharing. Do you find it rewarding when you get to work with kids on that level? I know it can be stressful because the situations that you're, you're showing them can be stressful situations, but uh, there, there must be something rewarding in, in teaching kids. Absolutely. So, I mean, you mentioned Project 180, which uh, is a project in the high schools that the high school kids work on, uh, trying to show people other paths other than um, substance use and substance abuse. The project that I worked on them last year at uh, Gibraltar High School was uh, a mock accident. So we had a couple of cars staged in the parking lot. We had a group of teenagers that put on full moulage, so fake blood and fake wounds, and were staged into those vehicles. We actually had them smashed together, um, so bent steel and broken glass, and all of the students from the high school were brought out into bleachers that were set up in the parking lot, and we brought fire trucks, ambulances, and everything in, and ran it very much like a real call. Yeah, it was it was a little prepared, but the students did a great job of performing their roles. We had one of the parents come out, one of the parents that I, I, I did end up having to warn, this is going to appear more real than, than you know it is. So that experience for that age group is very impactful. They see their classmates in a bad way. They see them injured or dead. Um, and, and at that age level, that is something that we want. We want to, to shake them a little bit, right. especially in this day and age. What, what is an average teenager view in a day uh, between television and YouTube and whatever else they're watching? We need, to, we need to make an impact. We need to make a statement. Now, of course, our tactics for teaching Grade school kids are, are far different. Right. right. We also participate in, you know, the fire education week um, at school. So we've got kids from kindergarten through fifth grade coming in. And obviously we're not going to, we're not putting fake blood on anybody, you know. So our tactics there are just the basic stuff. Like here's how a fire extinguisher works, you know. And yes, we do actually show kids what fire extinguishers are. Here's how to stop, drop, and roll. Here's how you get out of your house if there's smoke in your house. How many of you know your address? How many, you know, so that's one of the things that we found is that the training was really good when everybody had a phone in their house. Everybody um, got pretty good at knowing how to call 911. Now with cell phones, it's a little bit different. There are quite a few parents that are perfectly happy to hand their cell phone over to the kid and let them play a game on the cell phone or whatever. But the ability to actually make a phone call right. has actually gone down in age, 
even though the knowledge of how to use a phone for everything else um, has has also come down. So we go through that and and really kind of go through with the kids how to how to call nine one one. I never even thought about that about like even just not having landlines in your right, house. That's, right. that's becoming I mean, a much bigger thing. I haven't had one in my house for probably ten years, and and I think a great portion of the people listening are probably the same. Right. You know, it's it's been a long time since we've lived in that paradigm, and yet our training of children and calling nine one one hasn't evolved as quickly as uh, the world has. Yeah. So that's one of the things we try to focus on. But then the other part of it is, you know, just simple stuff like having a firefighter put on gear. You know, it's like as adults, we know what fi- we know what firefighters look like when they're going into a burning building, right? We've got the full turnout gear on, a helmet on, a face mask, an air pack on the back, and a, they're, you know, sounding a little bit like Darth Vader with the breath coming mm-hmm. in and out, right? Well, for us, that's kind of comical, right? To a five-year-old, somebody coming into their house that's already smoky or on fire, and now you got this guy that sounds kind of like Darth Vader. That's a scary, scary yeah. thing. So one of the things is we try to just bring a firefighter in, have them stand in normal gear, put all that gear on so they can see the transformation from just a person standing in front of them to a firefighter in full gear standing in front of them. And even when they see that process happen, you can see the intrepidation in, in quite a few of their eyes like, no, that guy's scary now. Right. So we try to, we try to make ourselves less scary. Well, and you know, it, it, it's so funny as you're talking through this stuff, I... I am coming to the realization that this type of education is really important because I think about like, it it has stuck with me. Like when I think about like, what would happen if I had a fire? Well, it goes, I immediately go back to what I was taught when I was very young about like, you know, have a place to meet where the family can meet or like, you know, check the, the door with the back of your hand before you go through. Those types of things still stick out like in my brain. And it's the stuff that I learned when I was in middle school or Absolutely. younger. Absolutely. You know, I mean, we're um, very happy to be back in the schools again doing fire education and uh, fire prevention week at the school. There was a short period of time where we weren't, and um, so we're, we're very glad to be back there doing it. Like you said, even as adults, those lessons that we learned, those were impactful days. You know, I mean, do you remember every day when you were a kid? Of course not. But I bet you remember the field trips yeah. or when those groups came in or some of those assemblies, those days out of the ordinary prove highly impactful. So whenever we can uh, take those opportunities to make ourselves, our children, our our community a little safer, we'd love to participate in that kind of stuff. You know, I have, I have one more question on the on the medical side of thing, and this yeah. one's from Miles. Uh, sure. Miles actually wants to know, who's the worst firefighter on the team? <laughs> <laughs> uh, myself. Yeah, oh, that, I think that that's probably what he was fishing for. Yeah. Uh, is there is there anything else about we, we've covered a lot of ground here? Is there anything else that we missed that you think is important before we wrap up? I have a couple more questions for you, but is there anything that we overlooked that you that you want to make sure that we talk about? I guess the the volunteerism aspect of it is is huge um, because in a community it it takes you it takes the average person overcoming that thought that I can't do that and coming and checking it out. So I would encourage anybody that has any inkling that they think they have enough time or enough motivation to seek out their local fire department and just ask, what do you guys need? Right. We are lucky that we are decently funded. I mean, I, I'm not going to say that we're, we're strapped and bankrupt by any means, but there's always more that we can do, need to right. do. Um, you get to a city and the, the fire department's there are broad and diverse. You know, you go to Green Bay and they've got eight stations. They've got fully staffed 
fire departments. They've got specialized teams that focus on technical hazards that, that may come up over time. So those city fire departments that have all those members and all those technical teams have the ability to, to specialize, to be excellent at one thing. Here in Door County or anywhere where the, the fire department is small, we don't have less risk. I mean, per population, we have just as, it's just as likely that a fuel truck is going to crash on the road, that somebody needs rescue from the water or ice or high angle. Lord knows we've got some bluffs here. So all of those specialty technical rescue situations are still carried out by your same volunteer fire department. The broad range of, of what a volunteer firefighter needs to be proficient at is stifling. It's, it's intimidating, to be sure. And, and we don't ask that everyone be good at everything. We, we would love, if there's somebody that wants to be good at one thing, we want to support them and help them be good at that one thing. But it takes a broad village, to be sure. You know, the, the thing that you mentioned there that stuck out to me is getting over this thought that I'm not good enough to do something. But if, if I might add, I feel like the, the feeling that I have more often than not when it comes to this type of thing is that, well, somebody else is already going to be doing it. Like they don't need me because how many other people are already doing it? But in a community this small, that's not always the case. It, sometimes it does come down to, if not you, then who? That's absolutely true. You know, I mean, just like every six months on public radio, it's, it's, it's listeners like you. Well, in the fire department, you know what? It's, it's citizens like you. It truly is. It, and, and yes, it isn't for everybody. And there are some people that come and find out that it is not for them. And there's no animus or any way that somebody is going to be looked upon as, as being less than or made to feel less than if this isn't for you. That's not how any of this works. But if it is something that you're at least have a passing interest in, we ask you just to pursue it a little bit. And when you went to that first meeting years ago, you found out about it from from other people. Mm -hmm. Are there are there meetings like that that you could drop in at if uh, you're Absolutely. interested in volunteering? Absolutely. So you know, throughout the county, every volunteer fire department has training nights, meeting nights, and every one of them is looking for people that want to participate. You know, and every one of them is looking for people that just want to check it out. I don't think there's any fire chief in this county who wouldn't welcome somebody who just wants to watch for a night. And and if that's all it turns out to be, that's fine. But, uh, you know, I mean, Sister Bay meets every every Wednesday or at least every other Wednesday, depending on what uh, what skill set you want to work at. Sorry. So Sister Bay meets on Wednesdays. They get together, um, whether it's an EMR meeting or a fire meeting. Ephraim meets on, I believe it's the third or fourth Thursday of the month. Bailey's Harbor meets on Monday nights. Gibraltar meets on Tuesday nights. So, I mean, depending on where you are, it's kind of varied as far as what night that meeting might be. And we've never asked or required anybody to try to be there for every meeting. We realize that people have lives outside of the fire department. And, and the one thing that I, I will say is that we want you to be healthy in that life outside of the fire department far before you're healthy in the life inside of the fire department. Adrian, thank you so much for coming in and chatting with me about 
about this side of, of things that I have always been curious about, but never knew. Um, I, I think that this is such a great story to share with people. And if anybody listening is interested in volunteering, I mean, this is this is a great opportunity to do so. I mean, you can kind of take it from you, Adrian. This is a great way to serve your community. Absolutely. You know, I mean, like I said, if, if you are interested, call your local fire department, call your local town office. They'll help you get connected with a chief or a training officer in your community. And like I said, it, being a firefighter in Door County, though it can mean going into burning buildings, doesn't have to mean that. Um, the thing about a volunteer fire department is there's a job for everyone. We've got members on our department, everyone does, that that either no longer want to go into burning buildings or sign up with the intent of never going into that burning building. But there's always something that can be done, whether it's community outreach events or fundraising or just helping grab an axe or a shovel or something like that on the fire scene. There's a job for everyone. Great. Well, thank you, Adrian. And uh, I look forward to chatting with you again sometime soon. Sounds good. Thank you. For more Door County news, interviews, and exclusive content, check us out at doorcountypulse.com or pick up this week's issue of the Peninsula Pulse available every Friday. Don't forget to subscribe to the Door County Pulse podcast to get new episodes delivered straight to your device twice a week. Thank you for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. Pulse podcast.